The scripture this morning is Philippians 4, verses 4 through 7. If you could stand, please, for the reading of God's word. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The word of the Lord. Hmm. Thank you, Dean. Um, just a heads up, um, because it was not here in the month of December, um, I said, I, well, I, I'm going to preach the stuff that I plan on preaching because it really doesn't have a Christmas theme. We talk about the fact that Jesus came to bring us hope, peace, joy, love, light. Um, and those aren't things just for Christmas time or Advent season. They're things for life all year round. So um, we've looked at peace and excuse me, hope and peace so far. We're going to focus on joy today. Next week I'm going to, I'm going to make the focus light because um, the last two sermons I preached before I left were attitudes that motivate a Christian. And the third um, sermon in that series was to be love. Attitudes that motivate... So... Rather than, you know, often at at Christmas Eve with the Advent wreath, it's hope, joy, peace, love. But I'm going to do light, and then I'm going to preach that one that I intended to preach before I didn't get to preach it, okay? So, um, and uh, Julie talked about the difference between being happy and being joyful, and I have to tell you, I'm not happy with her right now. (laughs) She preached about three of my points already, and... Just takes off and no, not true. Yeah, joy. Um, I found this in uh, you know when I do research for my message. Uh, this is actually from uh, the uh, Turning Point, May 1993, and it says this: Men have pursued joy in every imaginable ab- avenue. Some have successfully found it, while others have not. Perhaps it would be easier to describe where joy cannot be found. Not in unbelief. Voltaire was an infidel of the most pronounced type. He wrote, I wish I had never been born. Not in pleasure. Lord Byron lived a life of pleasure if anyone did. He wrote, the worm, the canker, and grief are mine alone. Not in money. Jay Gould, the American millionaire, had plenty of that. When dying, he said, I suppose I am the most miserable man on earth. Not in position and fame. Lord Beaconsfield, uh, must not have been that famous because I don't recall this guy. Lord Beaconsfield enjoyed more than his share of both. Maybe he was famous in Great Britain or something. Anyway, he wrote... Youth is a mistake, manhood is a struggle, old age is a regret. Boy, that's a positive attitude, isn't it? 
Not in military glory, Alexander the Great conquered the known world of his day. Having done so, he wept in his tent before he said, there are no more worlds to conquer. And so the question posed in this piece is this, where then is real joy found? And the answer is simple, in Christ alone. You know, joy is not something you fight for. It's not something that you have to strive for. It's something you get to live with because of Jesus. Don't fight for joy. Fight with joy. Don't strive for joy. Strive with joy. If we live with the understanding that joy comes not from what's happening around us, And understand that we have joy because Jesus came and is coming again. We can have joy in the Lord in every season. Outside the coming of Jesus, the text that that, uh, Dean read for us today makes no sense. What Paul is calling us to here without Jesus is the unattainable goal. It's the unreachable star. But, Jesus has come, and He's coming again. So these things are attainable. In our scripture passage today, there are four admonitions followed by a promise. And those admonitions are this. Rejoice always. Be gentle to all. Don't be anxious about anything. Present all your requests to God. And then there's a a promise that follows that. And again, these four only make sense if Jesus is part of the equation. There's no way we could rejoice always, be gentle to all, never be anxious, and always present our requests unless we, and this is the first fill-in, acknowledge Jesus as Emmanuel. You remember in Matthew chapter 1, Joseph has learned that his bride-to-be is pregnant. He's trying to get his head around this and figure out what the right thing to do is. And in a dream, an angel comes to him and tells him to take Mary home as his wife because she is conceived by the Holy Spirit. And the angel says this, She will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, God with us. And Jesus himself affirmed the truth of his name when he said in Matthew 28:20, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And again, in Hebrews 13:5, it says, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Jesus truly is God with us. And unless his name is Emmanuel, I'm anxious all the time. I never tell him about it. I'm really harsh and I find it hard to rejoice. But in verse 5 of our text today, the Apostle Paul reminds us of Emmanuel in this way. The Lord is near. And because the Lord is near, we can rejoice always. Always? Really, Paul? Always? Do you think Paul would tell the Philippians to do something that was impossible? 
Do you remember where Paul was when he wrote this letter? He was imprisoned in Rome. His future was uncertain. He knew that every day could be his last day. On Paul's first trip to Philippi, he and Silas were flogged and thrown in prison. And it says at about midnight, they were singing hymns. Everybody in the jail heard them. Paul knew from experience that it is possible to rejoice always. Because why? The Lord is near. And if we can rejoice always, then we can hold on to joy in the hard. Life is hard sometimes. And there may be think, some of you thinking it's hard more than sometimes. Life was hard for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You remember those three guys? We call them the three Hebrew children. We read about them in the book of Daniel, chapter 3. And they had been taken away from their homeland into captivity in Babylon. And the king had this great idea, or, yeah, he had this great idea, and he built this huge image of himself, and he said, here's what needs to happen. When you hear the sound of all these instruments playing, you have to bow down and worship the image of me. And so, and I don't know if there was a great crowd gathered, but here's this giant thing. Maybe that's what they did. They called all the people together. and There's this great crowd, and suddenly all the musical instruments sound, and everybody bows down. Uh, well, not everybody. Imagine that scene. Everybody's on their face, on the ground, and here stand these, I mean, you don't, you can't miss them. Talk about standing out like sore thumbs, that would have been it. The king's not happy about it. He says, boys, here's the deal. I'm going to give you one more chance. You can bow down to me, or the penalty if you do not is you get thrown into the fiery furnace. And they said, King, we don't bow down to anybody but God. Oh, by the way, you can throw us into the furnace, but God's able to deliver us. But even if he does not, we will not bow down to you. So it says, the king was enraged. He had them heat the furnace up seven times hotter than usual. And I got to thinking about, how'd they know that? Check the thermometer. I don't know how they knew that. But I know it was really hot because, you know, the, the king called some of his big muscly dudes to throw them in. And the fire was so hot that the guys that threw them in the fire perished. And the king's watching all this and he says, hey, wait a minute. Weren't there three guys that we threw in there? I see four. And one of them looks like the son of the gods. And you know what he did? He said, hey, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come out of there. 
Now, I can be kind of sarcastic sometimes, and I would have been tempted to say, King, why don't you come in and get us? (laughs) But being better man than me, they were subject to authority, and they came out. And it says there wasn't even the smell of smoke on them. Their beards weren't singed anything. But there was a fourth person in that furnace, wasn't there? God was near, wasn't he? Those guys could rejoice in all circumstances. They could stand before the king and say, no, we won't. Our allegiance is to God because they were able to rejoice always. You know, sometimes we find ourselves in the fire. Sometimes we find ourselves in the fire because of bad choices. Oops, I blew it. You know what? The Lord is near. He understands. We can call upon Him. And folks, I will tell you this. Always rejoice in the Lord. Always, always involves hard stuff. It involves some not so hard stuff too, but always involves some hard stuff. And Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. And each day has enough trouble of its own. So, yes, he was telling us, in the always, there will be some hard stuff. But then you go back to the Old Testament, to Isaiah chapter 43, and I know for some of you this is a a, a passage that you're very familiar with and that you've held on to at points in your life. It says this, But now this is what the Lord says, He who created you, Jacob, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear. I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. I will. The Lord is near. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep you away. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. That sounds familiar. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Folks, because the Lord is near, we can hold on to joy in the heart. Amen? And then because the Lord is near, we can hold on to joy in the happy. And you're thinking, why would we need to hold on to joy in the happy? Well, Julie already explained that to you, so let's go on to the next... (laughs) We need to remember that happy is a part-time thing. Joy is a full-time thing. Happy is circumstance-dependent. Joy is Jesus-dependent. And Jesus is not part-time. Amen? So the danger in the happy is that we have a tendency to get lazy. We become confident in our own self. Holding on to joy in the happy means that just because things are working out in my favor right now, I still need to pray I need to be in the Scripture. I still need to give thanks in all circumstances. Happy comes and goes. Joy reminds me how I got the happy. And then we need to hold on to joy in the unexpected. You know, boy, I didn't see that coming. Like... Oh no, the basement is flooded and everything is soaked. Or the boss told us that the company is bankrupt and 
my last day is Friday. Or the doctor ran some tests and said, fill in the blank. Or something closer to home right now, you flee from the fire that turns your house and all your possessions to ashes. Didn't see that coming. Second Chronicles chapter 20 verses 3 through 9 tell a story about King Jehoshaphat. There was a great vast army coming against Jerusalem. The Moabites, the, the um, I forgot the, the Meunites, there was one more group. Ammonites were coming against them. This vast army. Totally unexpected. And the scripture says, alarmed, I didn't see this coming. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard and said, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not God? The God who is in heaven, you rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. (laughs) Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel? And give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend. They have lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, If calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine. We will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress, and you will hear us and save us because the Lord is near. See, the king could say that because he knew God was near. And because he is near, we can have joy even in the unexpected. Oh, I didn't see that coming. We can rejoice always. And then Paul goes on to say, talk about gentleness. We, can, we acknowledge the nearness of Jesus by being gentle. Why is it important to be gentle? This one's going to be a tough pill for some of us to swallow. It is for me. Because I'm not always gentle. Because people are watching, that's why it's important. It says, let your gentleness be evident to all. <laughs> even those who don't go to church with you. Even those who cut you off in traffic. Or zoom into the parking space you've been waiting for. You ever done that? You're waiting, you're watching somebody, and somebody... You're laughing because you've done the same thing. (laughs) Why would we respond gently in these situations? Because we've received great grace and need to extend great grace. Has Jesus been gentle with you? See, because we've been treated with gentleness by the Lord... We extend gentleness because we bear his name. If you don't, your life sends mixed 
messages. Yes, I'm a follower of Jesus until I'm in a tense situation or the other guy does something that irritates me. Then my reaction says I'm not. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. And then we acknowledge the nearness of Jesus when we are not anxious about anything. Ooh, that's a tough one. It's a tough one. What are we anxious about? Remember, again, Paul was in prison. He had every reason to be anxious. But his admonition is to be anxious about nothing. <clears throat> Jesus said this, Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to their life? He basically was saying it's a waste of time. It's a waste of time. Worrying, being anxious, does not change a thing. And by the way, and they say when I'm pointing at you, I've got at least three fingers pointing to myself. Now, worrying, being anxious, doesn't change a thing. It just messes us up. We lose sleep. Our stomach hurts. We're distracted. <clears throat> and often we are anxious about things we desire God to deliver us from. Oh, God, if you just come. Come. Come on, God. Come on, God. I mean, when are you going to do something about this? And, and when he doesn't, abide by our schedule and do what we expect him to do, then we get, we get anxious. And folks, I think we've been around long enough to know that God doesn't always come through in the way or the time that we think he should, does he? He's God. His ways and thoughts are above ours. And I would tell you that I don't understand why God does some things and in other cases doesn't do some things. Those are questions you can ask him someday, okay? But regardless of what's going on around me, what's happening to me, I'm going to acknowledge that Christ is near. See, we, we re, we're able to release anxiety by acknowledging Jesus' near, nearness. When he is present, rather than being anxious, we can rejoice. Remember last Sunday, I talked, was it last Sunday? I talked about the disciples in the boat on the water, and Jesus saw that, uh-oh, they're in trouble. And he ran on out there on the water. Whew! Boy, when Jesus is here near, it makes all the difference, doesn't it? And then we acknowledge the nearness of Jesus when we present our request to Him. You've heard the, the saying, when all else fails, read the instructions. Sometimes that's our attitude toward prayer. When all else fails, my ineffective efforts, when I've exhausted my own resources, then I turn to prayer. Last resort. Jesus said, you have not because you ask not. But we have a tendency at times to try everything else first with prayer again as the last resort. <clears throat> and what, what does it say about bringing our requests? It says, in everything, everything. 
So that means the hard stuff, the big stuff, the little stuff, and even the stuff you think you can handle. Why? Because the Lord is near. I'm right here. I want to know about everything that concerns your life. Because if I don't, and if you're not able to share it with me, you might tend toward anxiousness. And so, in recognition that Jesus is near, and boy is he. He lives within us, doesn't he? We bring all of our requests to him. You know, here's something Julie's really a lot. Julie's better than me. I'm married way up. She's at a higher spiritual level than me, and she helps me out a lot with this stuff. Um, she, she prays about the stuff that sometimes I don't think to pray about. You know, I'd, like the lost keys. Oh. Or, or my glasses. Where'd I put those things? He wants to hear it all, even the stuff we think we can handle. And when we recognize his nearness and bring everything to him, we have a promise. What's the promise? What's it say in Philippians, the passage we read to you today? And the peace of God. Yeah. It's beyond understanding. You know what? I know there are people in Superior and what's it, Lafayette? Louisville. They're believers in Jesus Christ who lost everything. And some of their neighbors are looking at them right now and saying... How, how can you be at such peace right now? I, I don't get it. It's beyond understanding. But there's that recognition that Jesus is near, even when everything that you accumulated has turned to ashes. The promise is true because Jesus is near. And that is why we can have joy always. Jesus said, John fifteen eleven. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Father, thank you. Thank you. That we can have this joy always in our heart. We can rejoice always in the happy times, in the hard times. We can rejoice in the unexpected. Those I didn't see that coming moments in our lives. And we can do that because Jesus is near. And because Jesus is near, we've been called then to be a people who display gentleness, a gentleness to all. <laughs> and we can bring everything to you in prayer. All of our requests and we don't have to be anxious about everything anything but we can bring everything and lay it at your feet because your feet are right here <laughs> you are near
And so we thank you today for the truth of Scripture. And I pray that today we've learned something about who you are and about how we can live and about your faithfulness. You are near. You never leave us or forsake us. You knew what we would deal with. You said in this world you will have trouble. You knew that. But then you said you can rejoice no matter what because I am with you always. I am near. We thank you for that promise. May we live today and tomorrow and next week and next month and next year and our lives in the truth of these words and experience, Lord God, even in life's most difficult, unexpected moments, a peace that passes all understanding that comes from the Prince of Peace who is near. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.